What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Trailblazers reporter, Mike Richmond. Listen to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts and also on YouTube. So make it your first listen every day because it's free and available on all platforms. Make it a part of your daily routine and then tell your friends to do the same. Today's show, got a little bit of Blazers news and then we're going to do a mini mailbag answering a handful of sort of straggler listener questions that are relevant to where this franchise is in late May, about a month before the NBA draft. But let's, let us start, as we do, with the news. The Blazers uh, have not officially announced it, but it was reported. I was going to say they announced it, but they haven't yet because it's a holiday as I'm recording this on Memorial Day here in the United States. If you're an international listener, we got the day off on Monday. Aren't you jealous? Uh, it's uh, the first reported by Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. The Blazers have added another assistant GM to the roster, this time Sergey Oliva, who was previously with the Utah Jazz as an assistant coach, a, an interesting background, uh, background for, for Oliva, uh, a 38-year-old who spent six seasons in the analytics department with Philly, rising up to the level of vice president of and director of analytics and strategy. Spent six years in Philly, was, um, you know, was an analytics guy working in their analytics team, and then he got hired uh, in 2020 to join, uh, to join excuse me, Quinn Snyder's uh, staff in Utah and spent the, the last two seasons with, with the Jazz. When it was announced, Quinn Snyder was kind of like, yeah, this is our blend of analytics and coaching, like kind of bringing that realm to the coaching staff, uh, bringing that that sort of, uh, bringing that skill set like right down to the bench so we can have like analytics in, because the value of analytics isn't like crunching the numbers and knowing the numbers, it's communicating them to your players. So having a coach who can be that liaison was valuable. And that was what Oliva was doing there uh, in Philly. Uh, Oliva is like, a, like a, a basketball lifer who got interested in in computer science has has a computer engineering degree and a doctorate in computer science went to went to college in, in uh, Barcelona and spent uh, the early formative years of his basketball career coaching youth basketball in Spain spent over a decade as a basketball coach in Spain before coming over and working in uh, in Philly uh, he is most notably you'll be able to find the most about him was where I found the most research about him was mentioned as a hot name and someone to consider as like the up and coming sort of under 40 executives and assistant coaches that are going to shape the next decade of the NBA in a market March 2022 piece. This is March of this year, March of 2022. I stumbled over the the year that we're in right now. It's that kind of day for me. But March of 2022, there was a piece in The Athletic about the sort of 40 under 40 rising executives and coaches in the league. And Oliva was in there as one of them, as a 38-year-old who's, you know, been, you know, been in the league since, uh, you know, just after his 30th birthday and is now becoming the assistant GM for the Blazers, an assistant GM for the Blazers. Importantly, an assistant GM. Let's talk about what this means. This means that Joe Cronin has now added three people under him as assistant GMs. Uh, there is... What you're seeing here is Cronin build out the skill sets. In January, when he hired Andre Patterson away from the Cavs, the press release explained that Patterson would not only have uh, input in player personnel, right? Like who they draft, who they trade for, who they sign, like normal stuff we think of a GM, but also would be an, would do some interdepartment communications. He would do some administrative stuff. So the people on the basketball side could could communicate with people on the business side so the front office could communicate quickly with coaches and players. Like he was going to do some admin stuff as well as being like a basketball decision maker. Some of his role as spelled out in the Blazers press release was doing some sort of like 
some working a, a, a an important office liaison role, like some some just admin office stuff that you need because uh, the person, you know, Joe Crone in the biggest chair cannot be everywhere at once and needs someone to be able to communicate the vision, communicate the plan, get feedback, bring that back. And, you know, that's, that's why you hire people under you. So you, can, so you can communicate across departments. And so the people in the largest chairs don't have to do all of the communicating, right? That was, that was Patterson's role. Then he hired Mike Schmitz. Uh, last week, uh, Mike Schmitz is, uh, works, for, works for ESPN as an NBA draft analyst, does all of his work in public, so so it's easy to to see you know what what he's been doing. But he's the scout guy, right? He's going to be this. He's he's worked, done a bunch of traveling internationally. Was assistant coach of the Uganda national team. Like is going to be the scout guy. That's your scout guy. That's your that's your you know amateur basketball guy. That's your that's your wing of like players not in the league who could be available. And then you've got your analytics guy. Doesn't this seem like a balanced staff? At least in theory, like in in practice, we'll see how it works out, right? Like I said, when the after the Schmitz hire, and I'll say it here after Leva hire is like the way to judge whether this works is if the team is good, right? Like that that's that's a pretty good way to judge whether it works. But in theory, you're seeing uh, you know a 32 year old scout professional in Schmitz, like a hot name, and like. Let me say this. There was a question that this is going to this is going to be a mini mailbag episode in the second half of this couple answering a couple of listener questions. One that I scrapped because of the news was like, what do you make of the Schmitz hire? Aren't doesn't it seem like they're going to go young if they do this? No, like you hire you are you are building a staff not for June or not for July or not for August, but for all of the Junes and all of the Julys and all of the August into the future. You have to think bigger picture. So you hire a scout guy not because you really need to nail the 2022 draft, wouldn't that be nice, but because you need to be ahead of stuff and be good at player personnel and scouting and all of those things, international scouting into the future. You hire the analytics guy not because you like need, um, you know, you your team desperately needs like an in, like an injection of more data, but because it, there is value to have someone who has experience communicating strategy from a front office perspective to a to a player perspective there's value in that you you bring in an ad like a liaison who can communicate your ideas like Andre Patterson because th- there is value in having a bunch of different skill sets and having three GMs three assistant GMs work under you as a GM builds the staff this wasn't none of these hires are about what happens in June and July none of these hires are that short-sighted that's bonkers this is a this is Cronin given the reins, giving, given higher firepower, building out something for the future. I do not think any of these hires, and particularly the Schmitz hire, there's something about when someone in any in any um, field, like in any field, when someone does their work in public and you can see it, you tend to respect them more as an expert, but the work done quietly is equally valuable. So like, just because we can see Schmitz's work right in front of us, it seems like, oh, he's this hot shot guy, and he certainly is getting hired by the NBA team at 32. But like, Seen as a whole, seen as a larger picture of Patterson, Oliva, Schmitz together, you're seeing three different skill sets, or at least described by the way the Blazers and the way that the news has been broken, three different skill sets come together to build a well-balanced front office, the idea of a, a front office that can do multiple things. That isn't just the draft and just going young and all of those things. That is being the best possible basketball team you can be. And I think now that you're sort of seeing this shape come together, what you're seeing is a basketball executive build a staff below him. And whether your assumptions that hiring a draft guy who does draft stuff in public makes them more likely to to like be aggressive at draft night. I absolutely do not think their plans have changed. They're going to trade the seventh pick, whether Schmitz is on board or not. But like... the. All of these hires point to more than anything else. They don't point to like a direction. They point to a plan. And this plan is a balanced front office with a variety of skill sets and trending a little bit younger. 
in general, Tre trending a little bit. Guys who have um, folks under 50 years old, like it's it's a it's a I don't know youth injection hiring a 38 year old, but certainly Mike Schmidt's at 32 is young to have the position. Uh, like this is this is. Cronin is building his staff. We are seeing the vision come together. And if he ever speaks publicly to the media, I'm sure he will communicate something similar that he's got a variety of skill sets now on board to build what's what's next with the organization. I think, and I like, I don't want to speak to the value of these picks necessarily because like, I, like I, I'll keep, or value of these hirings necessarily because like, I don't know. That's why I said with the Schmitz hire, like I've seen him do the work right out in front of me. So it seems like he's pretty good at it, but I don't know what he's going to be like with like crafting a team. And I certainly don't know anything about Sergey Oliva. Like, I, sure. <laughs> uh, you know, w well-regarded, well-respected, all of these things. Right. But I think more than making a value judgment on these things, which I don't see as valuable. I don't even see as my role. You can send me an email locked on blazerspod at gmail.com. And I will tell you the same thing in private as I'll tell you here in public on the podcast. I don't know if these are good hires, but I know that the vision has been well communicated like through the way the hires have come out and getting a sense of the why is more valuable to me than give it a grade. Here's my grade. Incomplete, we'll see. You know what's not incomplete is this show though, because we're coming back in the second segment to answer some questions about the draft, whether the Blazers can trade up and looking ahead to a, what's next in the offseason now that uh, most of the front office seems to be filled out. But the way things are going, Cronin may be continuing to build his staff, you know, a rash of, of people leaving and now a rash of people arriving. And now we've got three assistant GMs hired since January as Cronin builds out his staff. Let's come back in the second segment and talk about the Blazers potentially trading up in the draft. Do they have the assets to do so? Let's talk about it. But first, let me tell you about Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action in a place that's got more lines, more props, more odds than ever before. So if you want to bet on the NBA Finals, which begin Thursday in earnest with your Northeast Portland Boston Celtics against the Golden State Warriors, you can do so. You can bet... Uh, pre-series pre on finals MVP and uh, and how long the series will go and winners and all things like that. And you can bet in-game on each of the games. And if you don't want to bet in the NBA, you can still bet on the NHL playoffs, which are nearing their conclusion. You can bet on soccer and the MLS or NWLS. You can bet on whatever it is. And you're going to find more lines, more props, more odds than ever before. That's bet online where the game starts. All right. Maybe I didn't didn't tell you, but it's a mail it's a mini mailbag. We're gonna do three mailbag questions, but uh, Blaze had a little bit of news come out today. Thanks for sticking with me for an episode that's gonna drop a little later in the afternoon on the West Coast and just straight up at nighttime. If you're listening on the East Coast and if you're listening somewhere else, I don't I I can never figure out the international dateline. So shout out to my Australian listeners because I never know what time it is there. Shout out to Josh Lloyd who coordinates for me so I don't have to when we go on each other's podcasts. Make sure you're listening to Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Nobody's doing it better. But mail this is a mini mailbag. Typically we do larger mailbags. If you want to send me a question, the best way to do so is lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. That's my email address. Or follow me on Twitter at uh, Mike G Rich. It's right there below. And if you watch on YouTube, it's right there on the screen in front of you. You can just tweet a question at me. And if I'm going to do a full mailbag show, I will send out a tweet soliciting questions. But today is just a just a very miniature version of the mailbag. And our first question comes from Casey, who asks, should slash would the Blazers consider trading up in this year's draft to land one of the top three guys? 
I have spent a lot of time in this space talking about the Blazers trading back. Uh, one, I think it's their best path to get a pick, another pick, and another player, and then try to flip that pick into something else. Like, let's accumulate multiple assets, try to turn seven into multiple somethings, uh, because I think that's their best path forward. Like, I, I think that's their best way to be competitive now and into the future. But I've also spent a lot of time talking about trading back because... I don't think it's realistic that the Blazers trade up. Let's let's unpack that though, because I think it's worth, you know, some people are saying like, they gotta get Paolo Bancaro or whatever it might be. They have to get Jabari Smith. Right, like I think those are the best players in the draft. But I don't know that the Blazers have a path to get those things. And if they did, perhaps the price would be a little too high even for their liking. Typically, when, when teams have moved into the top five, they've had to give away a future first round draft pick that is lightly protected or unprotected period that's the recent trend since about 2017 that's the recent trend if you look at the going price for a marco fultz trade or for the luka Doncic and uh, trey young swap that's that's the going price is like a lightly protected or unprotected future draft pick the blazers do not have that i mean they could waive the lottery protections on a future pick that they're that's owed to the um owed to the bulls and they could say like you know, the Bulls get it if it's 14, it's above 14, and you get it if it's below 14, similar to what the Pelicans did this year with their pick that the Blazers ended up not getting because of the protections. Uh, certainly, they could do that. So they could trade some future firsts in that way and get creative. But Portland doesn't really have young players to swap up. They don't really have uh, enticing uh, surplus of draft picks. Their extra draft pick is in 2025 from the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm not sure that that is particularly valuable to people at this point. In fact, it might get more valuable as you figure out what the Bucks are going to look like down the line. But right now, I think it looks like a late round pick belonging to a team that's going to still be, you know, championship level competitive as long as Giannis Antetokounmpo is there. And at least now, the indications are that he's going to be there and they're going to be pretty good. So not only do I don't think the Blazers necessarily have the ammo to trade up. Their their most tradable young part is Anthony Simons, who you can't trade on draft night because he's entering restricted free agency. Or so you're having to agree to a sign and trade into the future. That gets a little murky and a little bit tricky. And if you're talking to the teams at the top of the draft, the Houstons, the OKCs, the Orlandos, these teams don't want to pay someone $20 million who's a really good 23-year-old, 24-year-old. They just want a cheap, cost-controlled 19-year-old, 20-year-old on the roster, right? Like, they can get a cheap rookie on a rookie-scale deal who they can have under team control for up to nine seasons if they choose to do so, or they could sign and trade for Ant and have him under contract for four years. There, There is at way, 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 you know, twice the money, right? It's like, I do not think the Blazers have the assets to trade up, I don't think that they would appeal to the teams that are up there. And then if they do, like, let's say you do, you can trade multiple picks and Anthony Simons or just like multiple firsts and down the line. Um, that cashes in a lot of your chips for, say, let's just say a Jabari Smith, like my preferred, who I think is the best player in this draft. Um, I'm an amateur. Cashing in all your chips for Jabari Smith is a pretty good idea. Like, he's good, and I think he's going to be a very good player in this league, and he's, like, the type of big you really want, and I would be in favor of doing it. But it's also, it's your move for the summer. Like, that's the move you've made. And does that sort of satisfy all of, does that check all the boxes? For me, it absolutely does. If it's, like, a Dame, Ant, Jabari, Smith, Josh Hart, Nurk starting five, like, I don't think that's a championship-level team, but I think that's a pretty fun and good team and a team that could get better into the future. Uh, like, I would be into it, but it doesn't really, 
give you other necessarily many other avenues to get better other than the mid-level exception and like the traded player exception like the and but you might have cashed in all of your sweeteners to make that traded player exception actually valuable so well i don't i, I don't think the teams would be interested in blazers package and i don't think they have the assets necessarily to get that package to where it could sweeten it for the teams that are at the top of the draft they're in long-term rebuilds that don't need veterans to help now they don't need a nazir little they need like they can just get a younger player on a longer term deal um i don't think it necessarily appeal to those teams even in doing so you would have to realize that the blazers cash in all their basically cash in all of their chips um so it's it, it comes it doesn't come without some risk i think all of the all of those things are kind of like why they wouldn't or why they won't but they and and maybe why they couldn't as well. It's it's a challenge in multiple ways. And well, I think they could get there. Like they could get close to it and get it done. If a team at the top of the draft is looking to make a swap, certainly there are teams that are, have a more enticing and easier to thread the needle package than the Blazers. And if you're shopping one of the top three picks in this draft, you're going to have more suitors than this specific one in Portland. And when you don't have the ammo, teams can either squeeze you and give you, make you give up more than, than the sort of market asking price, or you just don't get a call back. You get priced out of the conversation. And I think the Blazers would likely, if one of those three picks were available would get things priced out of out of their range but that brings us to our, our next question that's what i want to answer to close the show here is what if somebody falls what if one of these top prospects falls and the blazers are sitting there at seventh what do they do join me in the third segment to close the show and we'll talk about exactly that scenario still a pass first point guard Still Mike Richmond, still listening to Locked on Blazers. And as promised, let's talk about what happens if a, if a top-tier prospect falls to seven and how it changes the calculation for the Blazers. This one comes, this question comes from Dr. J, who emailed me at LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. If you want to send me a question in the future, that is the best place to do so. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Dr. J asks, We keep hearing that the Blazers are highly unlikely to keep a player at seven. Either they will trade down or completely out of the draft. Assuming Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, and Paolo Bancaro are gone, are there any players left which would convince the Blazers to keep that player? Or would this just be an opportunity to get more value on one of the aforementioned trades? So this is an interesting and relatively likely scenario, right? Like someone someone who is considered 9 through 11 range is likely to hop in the 5 and 6 range and someone who's because of their in the you know 4 5 6 range is likely to fall into that 7 through 11 range which would would give the blazers potentially an opportunity to get a really good player let's just let's just do a whole hypothetical and talk about the whole hypothetical right dyson daniels Australian who's uh who played in Australia I believe he's Canadian played in Australia and 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 in in the G League and is like you know, a a big point guard with defensive and playmaking potential. The type of player that's maybe some teams with um, more patience who are sitting in the four spot. I'm looking at you, Sacramento. Um, or or even higher, maybe like maybe an OKC, like because they are do things that are sort of off the board. Like potentially one of those teams hops up into one of those spots. And then you get Shaden Sharp and he hops up in one of those spots. And then Jaden Ivey has now fallen and and... and 
and uh, excuse me, and Indiana can't pass on Jaden Ivey. They're like, you know, we've got Tyrese Halliburton and we got to figure out what we're going to do with Malcolm Brogdon. But like, we this is like too, this is just like too good of a player and too perfect of a scenario. We, we got to pass. And now Keegan Murray, who was probably considered a top five pick and maybe even by some places, uh, by, by some spots, the fourth best player in this draft is now there at seven. I think Keegan Murray is the ideal player for the Blazers to select. And if he was there at seven, I would say, just take the pick, just do it. But I think considering the whole sort of hypothetical and the whole question is maybe um, gives us a sense of how this decision-making will happen. I'm not like purporting to be an insider on this Blazer stuff, but I've spent enough time around the team to sort of work through the logic with you, admitting that I might be wrong about my logic. But let's let's walk through it together. What does what does a Keegan Murray, like a perfect type of pick and someone who's considered, you know, a top five type selection, um, say it's like Sharp, you could do Sharp in this scenario, but we're going to do Keegan Murray. Like say that Keegan Murray is there, right? Do the Blazers just take it? I say yes, but what if they say our logic is still the same? We want veteran help because we believe we, we're trying to be better faster. And we believe that a veteran, even if Keegan Murray is like a plug-and-play rookie, plug-and-play rookie is still going to be way worse than a veteran contributor. And now we've got this guy who, who who's coveted. I think what it helps the Blazers there at seven, it could be a pivot point in the draft, uh, depending on kind of what happens with Sharp and Daniels and Murray. I, I think those are kind of the, the question marks that would start to kind of make the draft flatten out a little bit. And maybe if there's um, maybe at seven, the Blazers do have a bargaining chip because like if one of those guys drops to seven, the tier of like similar skilled players, but depending on need, what you need is like eight. There's like eight, eight guys in a row that are all kind of similar skilled ish from the sort of Jeremy Sohans, Ben Matherin's, uh, Tari Eason types, Jalen Durance. Like I, I think there's a lot of debate over where that sort of tier of players go. But if, if a player in these higher tiers, like say a Keegan Murray for our hypothetical is at seven, you've got a real trade chip. And I think this gives the Blazers some real bargaining power and maybe they can get more for what seven was than they initially had been able to. And instead of swapping seven to Detroit, like some madmen, please don't do that on draft night. Please don't think they will, but please don't because they might. You can trade seven to a team that is eager to move up and offer you multiple things because now all of a sudden you have Keegan Murray. And because, you know, when your name is on the clock and when it's clear it's going to be there and teams are a little bit ahead of us, like that's why Woj is breaking the news on on stuff, like you can really start to to drive up the asking price. And I think instead of the Blazers just sort of like taking the pick in front of them, what it gives them ammo to do is to get more value for the thing they already want to do. So that's why there's real value in them being patient. Um, I think they've probably showed their hand just based on all of the reporting that suggests, like if if I am relatively confident just based on multiple outlets reporting that the Blazers are going to make trade seven, like I think... The NBA circles know that that is a that is a gettable pick. So the Blazers are going to have suitors. They're going to and 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 if this scenario plays out where it isn't um, the choice of Jeremy Sohan and uh, and and Benedict Matherin, but it's one of these folks who was like projected, uh, Keegan Murray projected in the top five, projected by some of the you know fourth best player in this draft and all these things. If he's there at seven, the Blazers have real ammunition. I do not think it changes their plan. I think it changes their outcome. Like, I, I think their process it is the same regardless. Shop seven for the best value you can get. Try to get, you know, try to get better. But but what you're always, and, and Cronin mentioned this, what you're always kind of weighing is the value of the pick. And the value of the pick changes on draft night because the value of the pick all of a sudden becomes Keegan Murray. 
then you have to value what do you think of Murray versus what do other teams think of Murray and what will they offer you. And I think what the Blazers are going to be weighing is not what they think of Murray, but what what is the value of the pick on the market. And if some of one of these top guys slides, even if it's Jaden Ivey who falls on draft night, or Shaden Sharp and the, and the team's in love with Sharp, the value of that pick is going to shift after the Pacers are on the clock at six and they make their selection. And, and the Blazers are either going to get phone, you know, their phone blowing up because everybody wants to be where they are, or they're going to have to get a little more creative and maybe take a little bit less, or maybe they've got a, a like a, you know, some semi trades agreed to based on six, seven, eight contingencies. It moves quickly around draft time. And, and certainly the Blazers are up already building their books and building their plans and working through these scenarios. But like, I think if a top-tier player slips, Chet Holmgren slips, he, I don't think he'll get to seven, but like let's in a world, Chet Holmgren slips and it's a guy who could have been the number one pick in the draft and now all of a sudden he's there at seven, then that value for the Blazers just skyrockets in, a, in the open market. Again, me, this podcaster right here who just whacked his microphone, uh, I'm yelling, take the pick. But like what I think they will do is I think they will have more ammo to trade that pick. That's my logic. Walking through it. We'll see what happens. We're still a month away from draft night. we got a long way to go. We're going to do more draft stuff this week. i got a couple people from the Locked On Podcast Network who are going to join me to talk through prospects to watch. Uh, got to trying to line up another interview for later this week or next week with um, someone who's, who's familiar with the Blazers' front office's approach to how they handle draft day. i got a bunch of fun stuff on tap. So why don't you come join me? all your podcast platforms, on YouTube, wherever you're looking for us, search Locked On Blazers and you'll find us. Then tell your friends to do the same. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.